This program is brought to you by Stanford University. It's a pleasure to be here this evening, and I come to tell quite a remarkable story. In fact, thoroughly unbelievable story, so much so that many individuals will find it completely incredulous, but it's true, sadly. Beginning in the 1920s or so, the American public began to comment about cigarettes, that they were coffin nails, and they referred to people having smoker's cough. And the industry perceived that there was a threat to its business, a highly lucrative, highly profitable business. So over the succeeding 30 or 40 years, they set about to prove to a worried public that cigarettes were really just fine, and they were healthful for you, and they wouldn't hurt you. And different cigarettes competed. Hey, I'm more healthy than that brand, and the likes. And I'd like to share some of that with you. This is part of a um, exhibit that is a museum exhibit and also a website and it's called Not a Cough and a Carload Images from the Campaign by the Tobacco Industry to Hide the Hazards of Smoking. Now in the 19th century cigarettes were commonly used for medicinal purposes and as you can see the cigars de joy this woman deeply inhaling when she has asthma or cough or bronchitis and the gentleman to the right with the handlebar mustache asthma cigarettes. Notice at the bottom, not recommended for children under the age of six. <laughs> now here's another brand. These are Subeb cigarettes made by the Marshalls Company. And notice the colorful individuals. While we have Uncle Sam when he has a cold, we have a couple of folks that look like charging bulls. We have a charming young girl smoking away. And finally we have a tender young babe obviously with Qatar having a mother blowing smoke into the face. Now the appearance of doctors in ads began in the late teens, in the era of World War I. And this was just some very tentative early times. So you can see here, this gentleman who smokes this particular brand was concerned that his nerves were jumpy. And he said that this, which the doctor told him would not make his nerves jumpy, was the best prescription any doctor ever ordered. In 1919, gets on your nerves, never gets on your nerves. If you were a surgeon, the nature of your work would require you to keep your nerves true and steady. Now the real era of overt hucksterism, as I like to call it, began in the late 20s. And you can see here, 2,679 physicians say luckies are less irritating, a wonderful Art Deco motif. Now, the Federal Trade Commission actually made an ineffectual attempt in 1930, and these are actually some queries from the actual FTC report of December 11, 1930. They came to the conclusion that these were surveys not to find reality, 
but to rather shape opinion of the purchasing public, dreamed up by the marketing departments of the company. Now, just so that you'll be prepared in the rest of the talk, I want to share with you some words that may come to mind. Bunkum, hooey, balderdash, drivel, gibberish, fatuous, and most important, huckster, one who uses aggressive, showy, and devious methods to promote a product. And finally, fraud, deception, trickery, and humbug. Now, the most famous doctor campaign, and I say campaign because it's not one or two ads. These are dozens, sometimes as many as 100 ads in a series, was the infamous More Doctors Smoke Camels, where doctors were depicted as um, great partakers in the joy of smoking to reassure a worried public that if a health professional chooses to smoke, they must not be so bad after all. And here you can see sort of a storyline. On the left, you can see the young boy. And the young boy being patted on his head by the dad that has to go to another birthday party, obviously to care for another sick child. And on the right, you can see the young boy sound as a bell. Here he is as a young man with his father. It's all up to you, my son, to carry on the medical tradition. These doctors are wise and noble. And you can see there the class of 46 and 06, not 2006, 1906 and 1946 at a lecture together. And here he is as a young man in white as an intern um, in a hospital training and on the right with his beautiful young wife screwing his new plaque as an MD to the wall saying, you know, a minimum of $15,000 and seven years hard work. 15,000. You know what Stanford medical tuition is? <laughs> and here he is being very studious, studying, continuing education throughout his life, and everybody knows him in the community because he's the doctor and looks up and respects him. So his opinion that camels are the best cigarettes counts. Even the research doctor gets in the act. You can see the doctor behind the doctor, the smartest of all, the ones inventing, and those chasing big game, in this case, microbes. Now, how did this come about? How did they prove more doctors smoke camels? Ah, well, the marketing people at R.J. Reynolds had a clever way of doing it. They would go to conventions like the American Medical Association, and they had hospitality booths. And they would hand someone a free carton of cigarettes and say, hey, doctor, what's your favorite brand? They would also hand out loose packs. And they had people standing at the exit of the meeting room saying, doctor, what cigarettes you got in your pocket? There you go. More doctors smoke camels. You know, the doctors in these ads were wise, dedicated, caring, noble. The depictions were never of a specific physician, never a named physician. In fact, in this era, doctors who advertise would lose their license. Little protest, sadly, was heard from the medical community. As a matter of fact, these ads regularly appeared in medical journals and were targeted to doctors themselves to give advice to their patients that it was perfectly OK. Here the doctor talking to a patient that appeared in the Journal of the American Medical Association in 1946. Now, the first of our videos. These are actual advertisements that I'm going to leave in from the same period as the magazine periodical articles I've been showing. You know, if you were to follow a busy doctor as he makes his daily round of calls, you'd find yourself having a mighty busy time keeping up with him. Time out for many men of medicine usually means just long enough to enjoy a cigarette.
And because they know what a pleasure it is to smoke a mild, good-tasting cigarette, they're particular about the brand they choose. In a repeated national survey, doctors in all branches of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country were asked, what cigarette do you smoke, doctor? Once again, the brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to this repeated nationwide survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Why not change to Camels for the next 30 days and see what a difference Look at it her makes smile. in your smoking enjoyment? Watch this. See how Camels agree with your throat. See how mild <laughs> and good tasting a cigarette can be. Now, if you think that was as outrageous as it can be, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now, here they say these are cigarettes that actually enhance your health. Look at this lovely meal for digestion's sake. Smoke camels. How can that be? How can smoking cigarettes help your digestion? Well, here you can see is the science or pseudoscience behind it. It makes more digestive juices. What juices? Do you see this guy with the little tubes in his mouth? It makes you spit more. When you smoke, it makes more saliva. And if you make more saliva, it must be good for digestion and you'll be healthier. Ah, uh, bunkum. <laughs> Pseudoscience. Now, we all know that this is not a scientist. You know why? No scientist would ever flick ashes on the, the microscopic tray. <laughs> but this exploited the popular faith in medical science. This was a time before the atomic bomb. This was a time when science held very high regard. In fact, so did doctors, more so than today. So here you can see a study done by the marketing people. Not one single case of throat irritation, says the throat doctor holding the iconic throat mirror of the otolaryngologist. The T-zone. Scientific tests prove lucky milder. Marlena Dietrich. You know, these images tell you they had unlimited budgets. The very best artists, the very best copywriters, the very most talented advertising and marketing people that money could buy. Now, scientific evidence of the effect of smoking. Here you have Perry Como, very prominent, very famous entertainer. Arthur Godfrey, again in the early era of television. The miracle of modern electronics, Accuray. Well, the Accuray was designed to measure how much Tobacco actually rolled in a cigarette. How does that make it better? <laughs> that makes it so your cigarette has a little bit more measured. But love of technology, misuse of medical authority. The medical doctors say that this is the case. Distinguished doctors found cigarettes better. Medical authorities recognize Philip Morris, leaning on the prestige of the medical profession. Sometimes very specific. Nose, throat, and other accessory organs not adversely affected by Chesterfield. Leading nose and throat specialists say, call for Philip Morris. Now, I am an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and I'm outraged by this. It causes cancer in the mouth and throat. A responsible consulting organization reports this study by a competent medical specialist and his staff on the effects of smoking Chesterfields. A group of people smoked only Chesterfields for six months in their normal amount, 10 to 40 a day. 45% of the group have smoked Chesterfields from one to 30 years for an average of 10 years each. At the beginning and end of the six months period, each smoker was given a thorough examination, including x-rays. 
The examination covered the sinuses, nose, ears, and throat. After a thorough examination of every member of the group, the medical specialist stated, it is my opinion that the ears, nose, throat, and accessory organs of all participating subjects examined by me were not adversely affected in the six months period by smoking the cigarettes provided. Remember this report and buy Chesterfields. Regular or king size. Premium quality Chesterfield. Much milder. So, 40? That's two packs. For 40 years? Right. So here we have the American Medical Association, and here we have a series of ads that were targeted to doctors. It's very hard, physician, for your patient to swallow advice to stop smoking. So instead, recommend Philip Morris. Tell him to change brands. Do you inhale? Aren't these beautiful images? They had wonderful artists. Do you inhale? It's long taboo. We all inhale. Everybody inhales. Every smoker draws the smoke into the lungs, whether you know it or whether you don't. To inhale or not to inhale? Is that the question? Well, it turns out American cigarettes are made of bright leaf tobacco. Unlike European tobacco, which is much harsher, you'd gag and cough if you tried to draw it in the lungs. American bright leaf is much softer, and they've softened it by putting honey, licorice, the number one user of licorice is the tobacco industry. Cocoa, to help sweeten it and make it easier to deeply inhale within the young. And in fact, for many years, if you didn't inhale, you were a sissy. You were ridiculed by other smokers. Inhale to your heart's content. Now this was before the knowledge, or the clear knowledge, that heart disease stemmed from smoking. Now who's this fellow? You need not inhale to enjoy a cigar, Ronald Reagan. Do you inhale? Then you're better off smoking Philip Morris. And here's how you can prove it. Light up a Philip Morris, take a puff, get a good mouthful of smoke, and slowly let the smoke come directly through your nose. Now light up your present brand and do exactly the same thing. Take a puff, get a good mouthful of smoke, and slowly let the smoke come directly through your nose. Notice any difference? Yes. But Philip Morris is so mild, while my own brand seems sort of harsh and burning. That's irritation. And remember, the irritation you felt in your nose is the same irritation that occurs in your throat every time you inhale your own brand. So for a more enjoyable smoke than you've ever known before, smoke Philip Morris. The one cigarette proved definitely less irritating, definitely milder than any other leading brand. Do you inhale? Then you certainly should. America's finest cigarette. More about that little fellow in a few minutes. Now, irritation. We all think about smoking illnesses, and we think about lung cancer, and emphysema, and chronic bronchitis, and heart disease. But in those days, they thought about irritation of the throat and of the mouth. That was the primary themes in all of the advertisements of the day. And in a stroke of complete marketing brilliance, the American Tobacco Company for its Lucky Strike brand in 1917 came up with the moniker, It's Toasted, as though toasting would relieve it of built-up toxins and purify things. You see, on the left, you see the toasting. On the right-hand side, they're cooking Welsh rarebit. And the point is, in cooking it, 
The cheese and the bread are made better and healthier, and cooking the tobacco makes it healthier and better. Of course, the dark secret is that American tobacco cured its tobacco products exactly the same way as every other tobacco product that made cigarettes. It simply was a matter of pure bunkum, marketing. They started to use celebrities. You can see here, I protect my voice with Lucky's, very focused on the voice box. Hollywood's most polished voice. I love this gentleman's sartorial splendor. I prefer Lucky because toasting removes dangerous irritants that cause throat irritation and cough. Consider your Adam's apple. Don't rasp your throat with harsh irritants. Carol Lombard, her singing coach, recommended Lucky Strikes. Doris Del Rio, the woman with the $50,000 throat. Her throat is insured for $50,000. That was a lot of money in those days. Here's what opera star Marguerite Piazza says about camels. If you want to smoke a cigarette that's mild and good tasting too, try camels. I did, and I found that camels have a mildness that agrees with my throat and a rich flavor that I didn't find in any other brand. Try Camels and see. The infamous T-zone, again of Camel, T for taste and T for throat, occurred over and over again in more than a thousand ads through the period. My favorite slogan, and the one that we've chosen to name this whole presentation and museum exhibit and ultimately a book about, is not a cough and a carload. It's not only outrageous, but it's ambiguous. A carload of what? A carload of people or a carload of cigarettes? I don't know. Guard against throat scratch. Light an old gold instead of a throat treatment. That's a nice thought. Now the British, of course, were very polite. Oh, it was so good of him to recommend Craven A to me because they certainly do not affect my throat. The woman on the right looks a bit worse for the wear, perhaps. Throat doctors pick old gold. Here's a whole collection of throat doctors carefully considering what cigarette, perhaps, and choosing old gold. But you have to notice, the guy here is Ripley himself of Ripley's Believe It or Not. And in this case, I want to hear what you all think. Believe it or not? <laughs> not. Smoke a fresh cigarette. Give your throat a vacation. What a handsome looking young throat doctor with the head mirror. I think he's had a manicure. The doctors, the dentists get involved as well. Look at this. Ask your dentist. Your dentist would recommend Roy. Why? Because there are 38,381 dentists who say it will never stain your teeth. Sure. Some of them are just simply better for you. It's best for you, it's health-giving, to smoke Chesterfields and hear the Corbett twins. Something wonderful happens when you change to Philip Morris. You'll feel better. Did you say I'll feel better smoking Philip Morris? Yes, you'll feel better. And here are the reasons why. In case after case, coughs due to smoking disappear. Parched throat clears up. That stale, smoked-out feeling vanishes. That is wonderful. When you change to Philip Morris, 
you really taste your cigarette once again. The clear, clean taste of fine, mellow tobacco. And your food will taste better, too. Yum. But why do these wonderful things happen when I change to Philip Morris? Because you'll be smoking the one cigarette with a difference in manufacture. An important difference that avoids a common cause of cigarette irritation. Day after day, you'll be smoking the cigarette recommended by eminent nose and throat specialists to patients who smoke. The one cigarette proved definitely milder than any other leading brand. Whether you've been smoking for 10 months or 10 years, something wonderful happens. You'll feel better when you change to Philip Morris. So remember, next time you buy cigarettes, be sure you call for Philip Morris and feel something wonderful happen to you. The only thing wonderful happening was that profits went up that year. If you smoke Luckies, you will feel your level best. You'll feel your best. But wait a minute now. How many people going downhill with the toboggan could have a lit cigarette in their hand? <laughs> Not only that, take a look in the lower right-hand corner. How did that lady get into waist-deep water holding a lit cigarette and on the man's shoulders? How did that happen? She's very good. Not only that, the lady riding the horse with one hand is very brave. It's quite remarkable. Life cigarettes. The average smoker loses eight to 10 years of life. You might as well get the life through your cigarette. How about this? Before and after smoking grays. I think that's about libido. I'll buy that. I'm convinced. Mint julep, my, one of my favorites, menthol cigarettes came about medicated. Remember they used to have medicated drops still today for menthol. Menthol cigarettes. The two on the left, Spud and Julep, are historical, but have some of the most wonderful ads you'll ever see. On the right, Cool, Newport and Salem persist today. Five times to switch to Spuds. When your throat is dry, when you have a cold, when your voice is hoarse, when you have smoker's cough. Nose or throat congested? Got a cold? Sore throat? Spuds. Do you smoke after strenuous exercise to breathe in that oxygen? Hey, you smoke like a chimney? Who cares? Your mouth will be clean as a whistle if you keep with spuds. These are bizarre. Don't pay through the nose. I think this has to do with the fact that it was a 15-cent cigarette when most cigarettes were 20-cent cigarettes. But it's hard to imagine anybody look at that ad and want to buy that product. But you can see on the right, your smoke zone and your cold zone, menthol would cool. It gave the feeling of cooling. The famous penguin of cool, throat sensitive, smoke cools. Give your throat a vacation, go play golf. Rest your throat too and go fishing. The winning stroke in golf is a throat comfort. A long gain on the football field for throat comfort. There are dozens and dozens of these. Scrub in a bathtub, cleanliness. And my favorite, I think, is the judge and the jury. The verdict, gentlemen, smoke cools. Mint julep, a southern mint drink. You can see, you gotta cut down on the cigarette. No, you gotta smoke up, buy more. If you change to mint julep, you can smoke more. 
Since the 1960s, menthol brands have been largely targeted towards African-American population in a very cynical, intentional act on the part of the uh, cigarette companies. Freshness is a metaphor for healthfulness. Can you imagine marketing a cigarette that it's fresh as mountain air? I mean, think about it. Inhaling smoke into your body is fundamentally an unnatural thing. But fresh as mountain air, fresh as a spring crocus. It's springtime fresh. Boy, when I light up that cigarette, I think of springtime. <laughs> and if you don't like that season, try snow fresh cools and you got the winter. Blossoms, the new leaves unfolding, and the freshness in the gentle air all say springtime, and they say Salem too. For the smoke of Salem is springtime fresh. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And it refreshes when you smoke. And you know, more recently, when the organic and natural um, uh, fads came about that are so prevalent today that people want things natural, we had natural cigarettes. Now, in the history of cigarette advertising, it was quite common for one company to go tit for tat against another. So you see on the left one of the classical It's Toasted advertisements, Sunshine Mellows and Heat Purifies. But on the right is a counterbalancing ad that says, naturally fresh, never parched, never toasted. Now, one of the great geniuses of tobacco marketeers is the elasticity of their message. They could take the same product and package it for entirely different reasons. So it can be both a sedative or a stimulant. On the left-hand side, she's in pleasure. She's relaxing because of the cigarette helps her to relax. On the right-hand side, she's tired and fatigued. She needs to smoke to perk up. The guy on the left, smoke, gives you steady nerves. The guy on the right, Rock Hudson, relaxes with his cigarette. Are you a ring twiddler? Cut down on smoking and you change to our brand, excuse me, cut down, never cut down on smoking. Change to our brand, smoke twice as much and you won't be a ring twiddler. You need steady nerves because you're a stunt person, this is the brand for you. Now this is an interesting one, showing a woman reclining and resting. Metaphors made to the dog, which is also resting. The point is that in Madison Avenue, almost anyone who did ad copy was male, obviously looking at this. I don't think most women would take very kindly to this composition. Filters, the big myth of the safe cigarette. Filters promoted health reassurance. It proved to be um, completely bogus. Um, they actually spent a lot of time trying to design filters so they turned brown so that consumers felt that they removed something from the cigarette that was injurious. But in fact, many filters remove less tar and nicotine than a similar length of tobacco would have in the cigarette. And of course, it costs a lot less than tobacco, so the companies love to put in filters. As you can see, in 1950, 2% of the market were filters. By 2005, 99%. Now, in the early days of filters, they marketed it for a peculiar reason. On the lower left, you can see the um, regular cigarettes had crumbly tobacco. And men and women who smoked constantly were going, PFFT, right? 
picking out little bits of tobacco from their teeth. By having a filter, you no longer had puff. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Here you go. Scientists and educators smoke Kent with the Micronite filter. If you're smart, you have a filter. The only problem is that the Kent Micronite filter was made of asbestos. <laughs> Deadly combination. Just what the doctor ordered, said Rosalind Russell and Barbara Stanwyck. This is it, what the doctor ordered. The man who knows thinks for himself. Isn't this a smoker's face? The smoking is etched on his face. Now, as with most such advertising, it was a campaign. You had architects, you had chemists, you had astronomers, you had coaches. The man who thinks for himself. You know, the life of the bounty hunter was pretty rough. He lived hard, and he moved fast. Thanks, Ray. But when I'm off stage, I like to stop and think, figure things out. That's why I smoke Viceroy's. And when you think your way through all the filter claims, you come to the cigarette with a thinking man's filter and a smoking man's taste. Viceroy, the thinking man's filter and the smoking man's taste. Steve McQueen. Died of lung cancer, age of 50. They also put out that other types of smoking was safer. You know, give your husband a pipe and he'll live longer. Give him a cigarette holder. It will make it safer. Now, really devious marketing is when you say, we don't make medical claims like those bad guys do. We're better than that, as the old gold people said. The only problem is if you look at the little fine print, it says we say boo to those nose throat tests, but with this reminder, no other leading cigarette is less irritating or easier on the throat. Who are they kidding us? What hypocrisy. Medical claims, it's a bold medical claim right on the same sheet. No curative powers claimed. Our ads are neither Cokes nor hoax. Now, Johnny Rovanetti was, was a short man about four foot tall. He earned incredible amounts of money throughout the Depression. He earned $50,000 a year in the 40s, which is like a million dollars a year today. He was the first human being that was actually trademarked. Here's Johnny's call. Everybody likes them. They're so much milder, so much fresher, so much better to smoke. Remember, even doctors suggest Philip Morris because they're so much less irritating than other cigarettes. It does make you wonder if all that smoking might have stunted his growth. <laughs> and of course, as with all of these campaigns, there are literally dozens of examples of Johnny that appeared in periodicals all over America. Now, celebrities were used constantly in cigarette ads. And of course, everybody smoked FDR and in the movies in the 30s and 40s. The earliest use of celebrities were historical celebrities, such as Mark Twain, who famously said, quitting smoking is easy. So easy, I've done it a thousand times. And U.S. Grant, why well, Ulysses S. Grant died of smoking-induced throat cancer. The early use of modern celebrities were comedians in the old gold uh, ads showing W.C. Fields, Laurel and Hardy explaining the throat ease of old golds in the 30s. 
A-list stars in the 40s and 50s signed up to endorse tobacco products. John Wayne, not one single case of throat irritation, just one lethal case of lung cancer. Here's John Wayne, America's number one movie star. He's enjoying time out from his new picture, Big Jim McLean, with a camel cigarette. If you want to find how enjoyable a cigarette can be, do what I did. Smoke only camels for 30 days. You'll see how flavorful and mild camels are as your steady smoke. I think you'll stay with camels, too. Frank Sinatra. And this illustrates, notice the early TV cameras, that many of the early TV shows in the late 40s and early 50s were sponsored by cigarette companies. And they were named by cigarette companies. Here's Frank Sinatra's celebrity release, 320 Carrollwood Drive, Los Angeles. You may want to visit that neighborhood. I make my living with my throat. And doing five radio shows a week makes my throat mighty sensitive. So I have two reasons for smoking Lucky Strike. They relax me, and at the same time, they're kind to my throat. Lucille Ball. I love that picture. That's Lucy. Something wonderful happens. Why, if you smoke this brand, Philip Morris, you'll have no cigarette hangover. I'm not sure I know what a cigarette hangover is, fortunately. Desi Arnaz, her husband, died of lung cancer in they were divorced shortly after this commercial. <laughs> Leading ladies, Maureen O'Hara, famous for her red hair. Joan Crawford, later memorialized in the famous book, Mummy Dearest. Siren like Ava Gabor, pinup girls like Betty Grable. Let's go somewhere where we can be comfortable. And I tell you why, I smoke cameras. You see, I had to be sure my cigarette agreed with my throat. I tried most of the leading brands and I, I found that I liked camel, the best of all. Try camels yourself as your steady smoke for 30 days. Your T-Zone will tell you how mild and good-tasting camels are pack after pack, week after week. You'll soon see why camel is America's most popular cigarette. Iconic couples, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Who can forget Casablanca and how smoking figured so prominently in that movie? Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Jane Wyman, first wife of Ronald Reagan, an enthusiastic endorser of the Chesterfield brand. And you see here's Ronald as a younger man in, do, and in his middle age and then later. And if you notice on the right-hand side, next to the cigar, there's some fine print. And that talks about the movie he's starring in. He's starring in Bedtime for Bonzo at the time he made this particular ad. All of the leading actors in this era, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, etc., 
all endorse cigarettes. Do you remember Robert Young, famous for being Marcus Welby, MD, 1969 to 76? He was the most famous physician on television. The undisputed champion, Jack Webb, three different companies, Fatima, Chesterfield, L&M, Dragnet. Now, if you're a really big star, you actually get a cigarette named after you. These are Laurence Olivier cigarettes before he was knighted. They received payola. They got money, real money. You see here 5,000 to Claudette Colbert and Gary Cooper, 3,000 to Henry Fonda and Edward G. Robinson. They were younger. I guess they didn't get as much money. The ultimate payola that many cigarette advertisers got was they paid the ultimate price. These are but a handful of the cigarette endorsers who actually died of lung cancer uh, themselves. Gary Cooper, Betty Grable, Ed Sullivan, Jack Benny, Joe DiMaggio. Now movies have a special place in promoting tobacco use. Classic actresses of the 30s and 40s all smoked. There was a huge amount of smoking in movies. And according to Bernays, who's the father of public relations, a great deal can be said with a cigarette, which would ordinarily require many words to say. For example, taking a series of quick puffs shows nervousness. Resignation, crush out a half-smoked cigarette with finality. Chagrin, the cigarette falls from a trembling hand. Anger, crushes, as in the lower right-hand corner, that dirty rat. Shyness, fumbling while trying to light your cigarette. Acute distress, the ultimate of acute distress, is when a chain smoker fails to light up. And passion in the raw is when you light two cigarettes and hand one to your beloved. Shall we just have a cigarette on it? Well, that scene was so hot I had to take my coat off. This is a picture of Betty Davis at different times during her career. And Henry Fonda once famously said, I've been close to Betty Davis for 38 years, and I have the cigarette burns to prove it. But the truth is that use of cigarettes in movies is a very contemporary issue. And in fact, there are more cigarettes smoked in movies today by far than there are in real life. And in fact, for many years, there was paid product placement, uh, famously in Superman movies, where um, Superman flies through a Marlboro billboard. Uh, a lot of money changed hands. Sylvester Stallone uh, made many, many thousands of dollars in, in product placements for cigarettes. Now, sometimes it wasn't a celebrity, but rather a trusted person. In this case, you can see the parish priest who turns over a new leaf or three nuns in your pipe. That's quite an image for you. You know, they, I guess they want you to believe that God endorses smokers and God supports their humble brand. Trusted people like referees, like policemen, 
You know, if you can't trust William Shakespeare and Prince Charming, who can you trust? Hey, the space era. I mean, who's more interesting and more contemporary than spacemen? Of course, space capsules had 100% oxygen in those days. It would be a big boom, but it makes for a good image. The Capitol building, trusted landmarks, the Statue of Liberty, even timeless historical landmarks like the pyramids. You know, the French are very creative. Even the family pet gets involved. You know, it's um, natural mildness and extra protection. You wonder if the muzzle on the puppy dog is that protection. Fleetwood, the kitty cat, it's, the cigarette is so clean that it cleans itself as a cat does, is the message. Famous people, Teddy Roosevelt's daughter, Alice Roosevelt, and Wallace Simpson. Wallace Simpson, famous of the abdication of Edward the Eighth. Uh, this was, uh, they were in the Bahamas at the time she did this endorsement. And the subplot in this is that her husband was a Nazi sympathizer. And during the war, they were exiled to the Bahamas where they could do no harm. She was, in fact, in great disgrace, but not so much disgrace that she couldn't endorse an American cigarette product. And of course, an American company would love to have British royalty endorse their brand. Athletes. They don't get your wind, according to Lou Gehrig. What better symbol of healthfulness? Babe Ruth, old gold, not a cough and a carload. Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams over on the right-hand side. You name your baseball thrill, we've got it for you. A great stop on a hard-hit grounder, a slugger blasting the ball out of the park, a three-and-two pitch when the pressure's on. Now meet some of baseball's top players who smoke camels, America's top cigarette. Billy Heft, Detroit Tiger Southpaw. Well, I smoke for pleasure, and that's just what camels give me. Good smoke, mild and good tasting. Philadelphia's Richie Ashburn, National League batting champ. I've tried them all, and camels give me just what I want. Real smooth mildness, good rich taste. Yankee pitcher Bob Grimm. I've smoked a lot of cigarettes, and camels are the best-tasting smoke I've found. Whitey Lockman, New York Giants. Others I smoke just haven't got camels' taste, and they're not as mild. Fans, you ought to try camels, the best-like cigarette today. Only camels taste so rich, yet smoke so mild. Mickey Mantle also endorsed cigarettes, and I haven't come up with a video of his yet, but there are some out there, I believe. Swimmers, they don't get your wind. Even hockey players, for digestion's sake. I'm not sure what good digestion has to do with playing hockey. Joe Lewis, champion of the world. Probably not part of his training routine to smoke Chesterfields. Arnold Palmer, for the younger in the group, he was the Tiger Woods of his day. Still alive today. Now, this one is a bit bizarre. Can you imagine the 70,000 screaming fans with the um, ashes falling on their head? <laughs> I don't know what the designer was thinking, but it's true that in the 1980s, as late as the 1980s, the 26 of the 28 Major League Baseball parks um, had Marlboro or Winston billboards in the outfield. A favorite at the VA hospitals. So companies would give away their product to young people to get them hooked. Still do that today. 
The makers of camels have sent more than 210 million gift camels to the members of our armed forces and hospitalized veterans. This week, free camels go to veterans' hospitals Lexington, Kentucky, and Erie, Pennsylvania. U.S. Army Station Hospital, Tuella, Utah. You get the idea. Now, there's a, a fascinating story of how the tobacco industry targeted women. In fact, prior to World War I, women did not smoke, or the only women who did were prostitutes. It was considered a code of prostitution for a woman to smoke in public, except perhaps for a few old grannies amongst the mountains of the South. In the early 1900s, ads often showed women serving their tobacco products to men, or lighting up this injured World War I soldier's pipe. But you know, it began to be shown that women longed to join their male companions in smoking, but still not bold enough to actually take the cigarette themselves very often. Here you can see a woman's hand with a cigarette. Which is the jewel, the cigarette or the stone on her hand? World War I began the change. Wars were the, wars were the great accelerators of use of um, tobacco products. Women began to take on men's roles, and smoking became more permissible. This was certainly true in World War II with this Rosie the Riveter. Now, in this article in 1926, it was all about why cigarette makers don't advertise to women. And this was the calm before the storm. Within a year, the taboo is broken with the Chesterfield campaign, blow some my way. Sort of secondhand smoke, I suppose. Then the very first woman's cigarette, believe it or not, was Marlboro. It was ivory tips to protect the lips, mild as May. We all know it, of course, because of the Marlboro Man. And in fact, the Marlboro Man was born in 1954 when the brand, in a particular day in a Chicago advertising executive's room, underwent a sex change. And that's what led to the very macho Marlboro Man. Now again, elasticity of message. A cigarette product can show feminine beauty and glamour. At the same time, it shows masculinity and virility. Same tobacco, same product. Marketing genius. Now in 1928, Albert Lasker, many of you may know that name, was head of an advertising company, worked to find a way to engage women in smoking. And they came up with the idea that if you make women fear they'll get fat unless they smoke, and by smoking, they'll smoke instead of eating, you come up with reach for lucky instead of a sweet. And that's what you got. Notice on the right, you see the sort of shadow behind? That's what'll happen. If you don't smoke our luckies, you're gonna get fat. There you go. It's toasted. Smoke luckies, or you'll get heavy and can't. Same thing with men with a tennis player and a runner. Amazing images. Now, turns out, who put a stop to this? The candy industry went ape, okay? They sued them. They took them to the Federal Trade Commission because they were besmirching the candy industry. So that what ended up happening, in those days, there were a lot of corner stores and places where you went for a soda or a coffee where they sold cigarettes, but they were owned by the sweets companies. And they actually banned the Lucky Strike brand from Schraff's and other places, which got them eventually to revise the campaign. Speaking in front of Congress, U.S. Senator Reed Smoot 
um, who is from Utah, which is a sugar beet state, therefore interested in candy. He said that this reach for a lucky instead of a sweet campaign was, quote, an orgy of buncombe, quackery, and downright falsehood and fraud. And I think you need to look at his image of his face to imagine him saying that with the right vim and vigor. So cigarettes came to embody modernity amongst women. I'm a lucky girl because I found a new way to keep swim, slim. And again, tit for tat advertising. I recommend a lucky in place of a sweet. And there's um, good old W.C. Fields. If you look at the bottom saying, eat a chocolate, light up an old gold, and enjoy both. Keep kissable, old golds. I guess that brand allows you to be kissed. I remember as a boy being told that kissing a girl who smokes is like licking an ashtray. These two guys were really behind it all. They were not seeking merely to advertise. They were seeking to change culture. Edward Bernays, the father of public relations, who wanted to engineer the consent of the consumer, and George Hill, huckster, marketeer par excellence of the American Tobacco Company, 1925 to 1946. They know that women can't smoke out of doors. It's taboo in the late 20s. And that they're losing a great deal of potential market to half of humanity that's female. So what do you do? You can't advertise. So you go out and you hire a bunch of debutantes. To, on the Easter parade in 1929 to hold their torches of freedom and march down Fifth Avenue. It led to uh, articles in newspapers all over America. And within a year, this one marketing maneuver, this one effort to change culture succeeded. And it was then possible for women to smoke outdoors. And it was considered polite and proper. Genius. Smoking lessons were given and sponsored by the tobacco industry. How to do it? You know, an affected smoker is branded as a novice. Here is the approved fashion, relaxed and casual. Fashion, style, sophistication. Miss America smoked. I have to be kind to my throat, all wrapped up in her garment that might have been given to her by her paramour. On the right-hand side, it says the height of good taste, but I suppose taste is subject to some debate in this case. Do you inhale? A famous pinup artist was hired by American Tobacco to do Lucky Strike articles. Ha haven't you noticed? And it was common belief in the 1920s that if you smoked, it reduced your risk of becoming pregnant. Now, this is Jean Harlow in a beautiful pink gown. So it turned out the Lucky Strike brand had a real problem in getting women to smoke the cigarettes. And the problem was that the green and red packs were very ugly. And they didn't coordinate well with women's clothing. Now, if you're Bernays, what do you think? How do you go about doing this? You change culture. You go to get rid of this ugly color, unthinkable. They've spent millions of dollars investing in this color. Instead, you hold a green ball in New York. You invite women who can only wear green clothing and green handbags and green shoes. You serve them a green menu with green beans and asparagus and green mints and creme de menthe. You go out and you bribe the furniture companies in New York to carry green fabric and green drapes and to push them. And you change culture. Why? To sell lucky strikes to women. 
It's an amazing story. And here you can see a Lucky Strike ad again trying to popularize the green color. Now, they had wanted to change the color of Lucky Strike forever, but they had millions of dollars in advertising in its image. But they came up with a brilliant idea during the war years, World War II. They changed the pack to white. And they claimed the reason was that the green ink was, had critical, scarce war materials, <laughs> copper and chromium, and that Lucky Strike went to war. And because Lucky Strike went to war, um, they had to turn white, which they wanted to do forever anyway. Now, a subplot is Lucky Strikes were banned in Vietnam because the soldiers would put them on the helmet, and it was too good of a bullseye for the Viet Cong to shoot at. Now, marketing of children to kids. You can see here, this is a, a letter from 1927. This is from R.J. Reynolds to their sales force. School days are here, and that means big business for someone. Let's get it. And later, famously in the 1980s, if they got lips, we want them. You see, you understand that the tobacco company has a problem. There's fanatical brand loyalty. And once someone has started smoking a given brand, they don't change very often. So all of the advertising towards adult smokers is trying to get them to change brands. Because the stark reality is almost no one starts smoking after the age of about 20 or 21. And if you ask all adult smokers, almost all adult smokers wish they could quit but can't. So the challenge is, is to market to young people, starter smokers, what the industry calls replacement smokers, because every time someone dies off, they have to have a new smoker. And once a kid starts smoking, they have fanatical brand loyalty, and it means huge revenue. In these days, they were rather obvious in marketing towards kids, but it's no different today, frankly. Here you can see new and worth courting. Love that double entente. College kids, camels, banners, wearing a graduate cap. You can see down here, it's for those keen, young taste. Made so many friends in our younger smokers with their fresher, unspoiled taste. Hey, we don't market to children and young people, do we? Visit our colleges and universities across the country. Talk to the young men and women who must pass test after test, week after week. See them at their parties, their clubs, their social get-togethers, and you realize one thing about them you see that these students have learned to think for themselves, that they are sound discerning in their judgments. You'll notice that, as with so many millions of other Americans, camel cigarettes are a great favorite on the campus. Yes, on the subject of cigarettes, they know you can't decide on hasty one-puff experiments. A mere whiff or sniff is no proof of cigarette mildness. As this lovely co-ed puts it, I like the kind of proof I got from the camel 30-day test. I just took my time and smoked camels regularly for 30 days. Now I know for sure camels agree with my throat. They're so mild and taste so good. Isn't that the kind of sensible proof you want to start your own camel 30-day test today? Here you can see heavy date, heavy smoking. And of course, in those days, young people could get their cigarettes right out of vending machines that dotted the landscape in almost every store and restaurant, even in schools, even in hospitals, even not so long ago in hospitals. Be happy. Go lucky. Those guys look like fun, loving young kids smoking. This is from the Stanford Chaparral. 
April 1938, when a young man's fancy turns to spring. They invested heavily. This is a bizarre one. This is British. If you look in the upper left, I felt my children were slipping away from me. And in the, and in the blow up, the whole story is that the kids wouldn't stay at home to have drinks and cigarettes because the brand they were using caused, no kidding, smoke dyspepsia. That's what it says. And when they changed to graze, their children came back to them and then enjoyed at their house. <laughs> Marriage. Look at the smoke rings. Forever and ever. Cigarettes were associated with the good times in life, with love, with happy times. They became an indispensable part of romance, of courting. No more need be said. Of thee I sing. I do. It's amazing. It's obscene to have a bride in bridal gown, bridal gown. Can you imagine they do that? Oh, packed with pleasure. Ooh, double entente there for the honeymoon. The perfect gift is a box of cigarettes for someone's wedding. <laughs> they like to do brides. There were a lot of brides, even recently. And then, of course, married life together lying on the divan, both smoking and reading a book, an essential part of happy day-to-day -day cultured life. The husband is away at war. Everything is going to be just the way he'll want it. His easy chair, his slippers, and his Chesterfields. Critical part of life. Old men lighting up young ladies. Looks a bit lecherous to me. A stylishly dressed older man lighting up a younger man. A rather suggestive image, I believe. A nurse lights up a doctor. A woman doctor. An unusual one. One of 7,250 7, woman doctors in America. A little girl. I'm going to grow to be 100 years old, doctor. 100 years old because of medical science. You're part of the family, doctor. Doctors love these. Why would you try to suppress these? They show the doctor to be noble and humane and grand. Nurses. Nurses smoke far more than doctors today. But there are very few images of nurses in the tobacco ads of that time. I'm not sure why. The professional cheerer. What better to bring someone laid up in a hospital bed than a box of cigarettes? I just like this image, straight from the shoulder. You wouldn't think there'd be images of babies in tobacco ads. How many of you think perhaps there were? Gee, mommy, you sure like your Marlboros. Gee, dad, you always get the best of everything. You should get Marlboros too. Again, this is evil. This is about gentleness. Again, they had large art budgets. Look at the beauty of this the composition of this, a baby metaphor for the cigarette. And of course, the stork takes a puffing break while delivering the child. And in fact, if you're really uh, even more keen, the baby becomes cigarettes and is delivered to the house. Just like dad, images of children. Many, many kids appeared in tobacco ads of the time. Father's Day ads, this poor father didn't even get ahead. Dad's birthday, lots of images of children. Cute little pigtail girls, 
little girls smoking, you know, going after smoke rings and the like. America's best-selling, best-tasting filter cigarette. It still tastes good like a cigarette should. I used to watch these all the time as a kid. It's amazing. Cartoon advertising aimed at young children, starter smokers. What would a mother's recommendation be for her daughters? Oh, I prefer Lucky's and so do my daughters. Santa. Santa takes a drag. Must keep warm on those long nights at the North Pole. This Santa looks a lot like Daddy. And that one looks like he's had a few too many. <laughs> lots of Santas. Some scary looking Santas like on the lower right, but lots of different Santa Clauses lighting up the smoke. Cartoons. We have hundreds and hundreds of cartoons. John Wayne. Hitler Haven. This is where they take over and beat Hitler. Now here's a really bizarre motif. Cigarettes as people. Any Freudian psychologists here that can help us to understand this? So his sideburns are chewing tobacco, his arms are cigars, and his legs are cigarettes. How about this one? I think this is, um, this is, uh, this is, Clearly not Freudian in that sense, I suppose, that it's symbolic of anything except for a man seeing this as something they'd want to ravish. Here you go, king size. King size? Look at those legs. That doesn't look like any king size. Yes, old gold. The cigarette with nearly 200 years of tobacco know-how behind it. Made by tobacco men, not medicine men. Smoother, milder, tastier, old gold cigarettes. Just you try an old gold, folks. Old gold, the cigarette that treats you better in every way. Because in every way, it's a better cigarette. You think that's a child in the other one? Yeah, I wonder. People. Cigarettes become people. We own you. Okay? You become the cigarette. We are so essential to you. Relaxing outdoors, relaxing indoors, you become a cigarette. And when you're in love, look at the designers. Isn't that amazing? Two cigarettes leaning towards each other. And it connotes love. You're so smart to smoke Parliament. Look at the style. Now, who would have ever imagined a veiled hat filled with cigarettes would, be, would mean anything? Or for that matter, a curtain or a fan. But these are clearly targeted at women. My mother smoked Parliaments for many years. Elegant, clean, neat Parliament. Then came the era of the woman cigarette. Now, this was an abomination. There are women dying right and left today who were ensnared by these advertisements in the late 60s and early 70s. A huge epidemic of lung cancer, emphysema, and chronic bronchitis. Virginia Slims, especially for women who are biologically superior to men, 
Who would think this up? You've come a long way, baby. In 1910, Mrs. Pamela Benjamin was caught smoking in the gazebo. She got a severe scolding and no supper that night. In 1915, Mrs. Cynthia Robinson was caught smoking in the cellar behind the preserves. Although she was 34, her husband sent her straight to her room. Then, in 1920, women won their rights. You've come a long way, baby. Introducing new Virginia Slims. The Slim Cigarette for women only. Tailored for the feminine hand. Slimmer than the fat cigarettes men smoke. With flavor women like. Rich, mild Virginia flavor. New Virginia Slims in the Slim Purse Pack. You've come a long way, baby. To get where you got to today. You got your own cigarette. It said oh, eat hamburgers. You've come a long, long way. And here you see the woman on Mount Rushmore. And Virginia Slims famously sponsored tennis tournaments, such as the Virginia Slims Championship. Now, there was a brand of frilly cigarettes called Eve. It was very colorful, but it never really caught on. Now, an undercurrent in this is independence, pride in femininity and independence. And to some degree, it meant freedom from the man, sometimes a little bit more direct than others. <laughs> now, if we look at cigarette ads today, glamour persists in the imagery of women. There's also a sort of glamorous hotness, I thank my wife for that phrase, that's there. This is quite an image. And even overt sexuality that sells. Now, in one of the most bizarre juxtapositions, you'll also see a modern ad that shows Vestal Virgins selling cigarettes. What were they thinking? It must work or they wouldn't do it. The designer, two chili peppers and a dot connoting a beauty mark, and you have a woman. They have the best designers. Now the take home message today, I wouldn't want any of you to take the conclusion that Back then, they were really, really bad. Today, they're much better. That is not true, not even close to being true. They are constrained by regulation. They have to put some warning labels. But their intent to ensnare young people and to reassure people that it's glamorous and healthful and invigorating to smoke and that it adds to sociability and enjoyment in life is no different today than it was then. You might not be surprised to know. I'll give you a few examples. 1925, blow some my way. Blow in her face, she'll follow you anywhere. Virginia Slims, find your voice, or perhaps lose it because smoking is the number one cause of throat cancer. Number one, two, three, and four. This juxtaposition I find very compelling. 1945, a bride. 2001, a bride in roller skates. Reach for a lucky instead of a sweet. Fat cigarettes fit men. You need a slim cigarette for, to fit a slimmer you. I'm a thinner, long, lean. That's the way I like things. And when merely slim is not good enough, try super slim. And if super slim is not good enough, 
go anorexic. In 2007, the Camel brand came out with Camel number no. nines, pink cigarette packages, squarely bullseye targeted at your daughters and at children and at girls to pick it up as fashionable. The connotation, love potion number no. nine, on cloud nine, dressed to the nines. Sweet cigarettes. Early on, they put sweetener in cigarettes. Um, as so often the theme from 1898, if you smoke our brand, you'll get the girl. But you know, beginning smokers it's, have a rough time at it. And if you add honey and cocoa to cigarettes, once again, Camel Signature Brands, 2007, you go into 7-Eleven or any convenience store, there's point of sale marketing all over the place for these things. Targeted, pink cigarettes to girls, sweet cigarettes, Oh, we don't market to children. We don't market to kids. We don't need the replacement smokers. Without replacement smokers, they know very well that without replacement smokers, they'll be out of business in 30 years. Targeting the third world is a huge scandal. Things that are constrained at home are the Wild West overseas. And there's a huge marketing in the third world. This is for another day. So if we look at the targeting of women, before 1915 was the era of disrepute. Later became the era of discreet smoking, followed by the era of emancipation, followed by glamour, the safe cigarette filters, and the era of feminism. But all of them had three themes. Stylish sophistication, pursuit of slimness, and pride in being a woman. Now, that completes this story. But let me tell you a little bit about where and how the story is being told. We've developed a museum exhibit, which has been at Stanford. It's currently at the University of California. And in a few months, it's going to Harvard. Um, that exhibit includes a whole bunch of images and themes you've seen. We also have a website. And I'd encourage anyone to learn more and anybody who'd like to download these images tobacco.stanford.edu. And we're also doing scholarship um, around these images to try to publicize um, what's going on here. Um, so again, the um, exhibit is going a number of places. We have collected over 3,000 original period ads, with thanks to eBay, which is one of the ways people are disassembling old magazines, has been very helpful. The collection will be going uh, to the Smithsonian um, uh, Museum of American History. And we hope also we'll have a Smithsonian exhibition. And we're looking for exhibitions in airports, in public places, in children's museums where older children, it's not really suitable for younger children. But we would like the public to understand about this industry, to know that this is an industry that cares about profits uniquely without regard for the health of its consumers. The number one cause of preventable death in America is smoking. It is the equivalent of three fully loaded 747s crashing every single day, each and every day, 365 days a year. And the morbidity, the older people who can't play with their grandchildren because they're too winded, the loss of vigor is just shocking. And it's a real public health scandal. And it's being permitted. Um, my personal view is advertising should not be allowed.
uh, for tobacco products. I would like to thank my fellow travelers in this, my dear wife Lori, who has been just amazing. Lori is an artist and has helped a lot with the design of the images and the compositions. My XML wizard daughter, uh, Rachel, um, who's helped very much with the website, and uh, my fellow traveler and scholarship, Robert Proctor, who is here at Stanford, who is a, prof a professor of history and one of the world's leading authorities on the history of tobacco and the cigarette. Um, if for any of you interested in additional reading, I would highly recommend Alan Brandt um, and also Richard Kluger's books um, on this history. It makes for great reading. Um, it's just like this presentation for me. You turn a page and you find one other outrageous thing that you don't think anything could top it. And then you look at the next and go, it's, it's just unbelievable uh, how this industry has behaved over the years. Thank you. Thank you.